So I know I'm 260 pounds with a beard, don't look much like a pastor. So for me to preach the sermon series I've been on lately doesn't help me with looking any more polished because we've been in a series called The Dung Chronicles. Yeah, that's right. You heard me, The Dung Chronicles. Yeah, I've got, my, I've got Danny up here to help heckle me and keep me in line. Uh, but we've been talking about that. And, you know, we're not trying to be gross or anything. But uh, if you want to turn to Nehemiah, the third chapter, as we're turning there, I just want to kind of get us in the spirit of Mother's Day. You know, this uh, boy went to his mom and said, Mom, can I get 20 bucks? And she said, what do you think I'm made of money? He said, isn't that what M-O-M stands for? <laughs> now, see, you at least laugh. First service, it was a little slow start. What did the baby corn say to the mama corn? Where's the popcorn? Oh. Why is a computer so smart? Because it listens to its motherboard. This one, this one's probably not going to be popular. I shouted to my mom on Mother's Day, how does breakfast in bed sound? She said, ooh, that sounds lovely. I said, great, I'll have bacon, fries, and two eggs. <laughs> Poor moms. Okay, on a little more serious and touching note, uh, there's a Reader's Digest submission that said, just one more question. This mother says, after the birth of her twin boys, uh, she found out because of complications in that pregnancy, she would not be able to have another child. And so after some prayer, her and her husband decided to adopt and they adopted little Sarah. She's just a couple years older than her two-year-old twin, twin boys at that time. And she said at, at one day, uh, little Sarah came to her, and um, she, was, uh, she was asking her how she became her mom. And she said, she said, I was chosen to be your mama. Kind of caught her off guard, but she answered as quickly as she could. And as her little boys were pulling at her clothes, she her, little Sarah looked at her brother and said, why couldn't I grow on your tummy like they did? And as she's choking back the tears, she said, well, the doctor said I couldn't grow another baby in my tummy, so your daddy and I decided to adopt a baby, and that was you. She said, I held my breath and waited for a moment for another difficult question. And little Sarah said, can I have some ice cream? <laughs> yes, thankfully said. See, moms, what makes you a mom is not how you became the mom but what you do to be a mother it's the, it's those things that matter it's how we serve it's how we serve those that gives us the authority and the uh, influence that we have and the loyalty from our children it's it's how we serve them and that's a principle that jesus taught us that's what we're going to look at today that's how we serve really that matters on this mother's day and, and really moms serve so selflessly so many times. It's the snotty noses. It's the up all night with fevers. It's, it's the dirty diapers, all those things. They're the unsung heroes. So today's title is The Unsung Heroes, The Dung Diaries. <laughs> we first looked at a couple weeks ago praising God when facing the dung of life. So in Nehemiah, when they're rebuilding the walls, we learned that they, they went and praised facing the dung gate. And it's just like it says, it's a place uh, where refuge was taken. It was a, a stench. It was terrible. Uh, Gehenna uh, referenced uh, hell. So this is a terrible place. And we looked at praising God even in the face of the dung of life. And last week we looked at removing waste for spiritual health. Now if you're new here today, I know this sounds like, man, this place is messed up. The kind of sermons they preach. This is not typical, but hang with me. Because there is some serious uh, spiritual significance in in something I've not really heard Nehemiah preached about before. But there are certain physical things that have to happen to our body that we don't like to talk about and, we, and our moms don't like us to make humor about. But if it doesn't happen, our bodies are very unhealthy. Our, our bodies would eventually die. And we got some people in the medical field saying, yes, you know, you, 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 in the same sense we talked about that sometimes it takes a natural laxative to make you healthy, sometimes we need a spiritual laxative to get rid of the waste that we let pile up in us. And so we, we looked at that. And this week, the unsung heroes, the Dung Diaries. And in that, I want to talk to you a little bit about moms in honor of all the sicknesses you've dealt with, all the sickies and the germs, is individualitis. We're going to talk about individualitis. I suspect a lot of people in our church today have been uh, tainted by or suffer from individualitis. Many human beings are afflicted with the idea that history is mainly about them. We're in Western culture, the U.S. and the U.K., or especially we are taught, if not conditioned, to think that everything revolves around us. 
When you start thinking about history, we look at it from a victorious nation, not a third world country. We look at it as people who have a better life, who, who know how to do things better, and everybody wants to live in the United States. So we look at history as if it's all about us. It's the same thing that's been happening since the Garden of Eden, and it continues today, this individualitis. We in our country are more likely to see our history as about, about us, whereas in a third world country, they'll see it more about everyone else. You can go to some third world countries now where they're still wearing a Michael Jackson glove. They hadn't gotten over it yet since the 80s because they so love the American culture and the things that come from it, and they want and aspire to emulate that. If you don't believe me, this impact of this individualitis and how we are impacted by it, just think, would you consider yourself, without getting political, don't say it out loud, are you left or right? Are you left wing? Are you conservative? Are you liberal? Good question, Jaden. I told us before, we need, to watch, we need to watch lingo that not everybody gets in church, right? Are you, see, if so, which news station are you going to watch? Fox or CNN? Right? Well, here's the thing. I'm not picking sides today. I'm just telling you that, that we are driven and we are fed how we should see things through our own view, and it's all about us. Whereas in third world countries and in, in what we'll see in scripture today, there is a different mindset that we are not used to where it's not about us, but are about us as individuals, we, me, but about we. Young students in the U.S. and Western countries like the U.K. are even more likely to think this way because it's being pushed so hard. It's about what is right for you. Don't anybody else tell anybody else what's right for them. It's everyone to themselves and what's right for you. And so this is pushed real hard. And they have not lived life and hit enough hard circumstances yet, especially in our culture, to learn that that doesn't really work in society. It, it breaks families. It breaks society when it's, a, it's a, us over anybody else. It's a very individualistic view. Have you ever heard this? The world is your oyster. Okay, I got to rein you in now. Let's do this. Everybody do this for a minute. Oh, you heard it. You heard it. Okay. All right. Well, now we're all on the same page. All right. The world is your oyster. There's, there's a well-known preacher from the UK that I'm not real familiar with, but I, I've uh, borrowed some stuff from him today because it was, I heard a message he gave that was really good. And he, he said this. He said, the world is not your oyster. Andrew Williams is his name. I don't think he gave his name. The world is a very, very large ocean. And it's very dark. And there's millions of oysters in it, and one of which is yours, but all the others belong to other people. And, and the truth about it is there are millions of creatures out there in that ocean that want to eat you. And there are billions out there that won't even know who you are and don't care. Now, on a Mother's Day, this doesn't sound real uplifting, does it? But the truth of the matter is it should be freeing. The truth is there are millions and millions of people out there who will never know you, don't care that you exist, and you don't have any responsibility to them in the natural. That's freeing because as a person who grew up as a people pleaser, I always felt the pressure to make everybody happy. And I always felt the weight of the world that I've got to please everybody. So it should be freeing. And, and this world is not our oyster. The world is this massive ocean of possibilities, yes, of dangers, certainly. But a lot of people who don't know who you are and don't care. There's a good chance there's a fair bit of individuals in this room today, and it's because of our culture, even in church culture, that are inflicted by, are affected by, are individualists and have individualitis. And I can say that because I have been one of them and I can identify others, but, but the truth is, is many times our worldview, our Christianity view, is more about me than we. Here are some things, and I want this, this is all part of introduction. This is going to be a little different message. We're going to get to the text at the end and the two points I want you to leave with. And I usually don't just say that, two points. But there's two things I want you to walk home with at the end. And so here's the big thing. But we need to take a litmus test. If we're talking about being healthy, we got this thing individualitis, let's get the thermometer out, let's get the cuff on, and let's see if you, you don't have to tell me, but you can decide, do you have individualitis? Destiny. 
In Pentecostal circles and charismatic circles, it's not heavily talked about because it, that word can smack too much of Calvinism. And so people, you know, because of that, we don't like to talk about destiny. destiny. But the truth is, how you see destiny may tell you if you have individualitis. If you think, I have a destiny, that's how you think about it, I have a destiny, you probably suffer from individualitis. If you generally think we have a destiny, then you probably don't have it. It's very telling by how you view, how you see the plan and purpose of God. I've spent a great amount of time helping to teach that God does have a plan and purpose for us. And he does have things for you to do like he did Moses and others. But often we're not Moses and we're not the guy leading the big group. We're the people following, right? So, so his greater plan and purpose involves us more than it is about me as an individual. And we're going to see that. This is the thing. Do you see God's plan, his purpose, as a part of a people, a corporate thing, or individually? It's just like in our culture, a new song. We do not compare ourselves to other churches, but we don't do special songs here. That's what I grew up hearing, special songs, special music. And some that are used to that, that was part of their church culture, they don't understand or feel that that's somehow going against the grain for them because we don't have special music. Our founding pastor named New Song, New Song, he was a incredible musician, well-accomplished, well-known, taught himself to sing, said he went from not being able to uh, carry a tune in a bucket to, to being uh, good enough to travel with groups. And we had, it was incredible. But, but he had decided because of, being a senior pastor for a while, that one of the things he felt that God was leading in this church culture is that when we worship, we worship corporately. We don't focus on one person's talents and shine the limelight on that. And I'm not saying that's what happens anywhere else. I'm just saying that the danger is, just like Satan, who is Lucifer, and, and worship was his thing, pride, it's, a, it's another area we can protect the unity of the church and say, when we worship the Lord, let's worship corporately together. And, and so it, it's different. It's not the same as other places. But it, here's how, how individualism, how individualitis can set in. Do you, see, do you see God's will and purpose as a corporate thing or individually? As a bunch of individuals trying to get where they each need to go? Or as a body of believers trying to accomplish what God wants them to accomplish together? Scripture, for example, if you read Scripture, you generally think, this is for me. Have you ever read something and say, oh man, that is for me? And I say it. Nothing wrong with saying that. I read this is for me. But you can actually carry that so far to start to think that this Scripture is for me. And you'll find people, especially on Facebook, where they get so absorbed in this is for me, they get the mindset that nobody else gets it either, and they get very preachy. There's a difference between sharing the Word of God and then using it like a weapon, right? At everybody you think that hasn't caught on. That you're going to fix the world by, you know, poking them in the eye with scripture. <laughs> hey, Ken, wait a minute, let me get that speck. Bam, right? Sorry, I missed. I got this plank. I can't see very good around it, you know. But, but we think that. And so you'll see that. We, we, we think very individually about scripture. A and the truth is God does download. I mean, I've stood in church before and think, man, if God, you want me to say everything you just gave me on my heart through worship, we're going to be here a long time today. And then I had a professor in, in Bible school said, if you ever go to a church and the preacher starts saying, what I got for you today is new, it's a revelation, it's probably never been heard before, you better run. Because he said, if it's new, it's not true, and if it's true, it's not new. Catch that for a minute? You're like, oh, man. <laughs> if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. That, that means that not, somebody can mess up in dividing the word. They didn't do their due diligence. They didn't divide the word. And, and so you can get it wrong, and then it sounds new. But the truth of the matter is, if you really, truly invest your time and your heart into really knowing who God is through his scripture, you'll divide it properly, and there won't be anything that you ha have said that hasn't been said before. It's usually just that the Holy Spirit illuminates it for the time and the purpose, and that's why it feels like it's just for you. That's why sometimes you think I'm talking about you, and like I prepared the message for you, because some of you said that. And in, in the past, not so much now, I don't know if I'm getting better at kind of managing that, but used to, I get the calls on Monday. Pastor, was that at me? Now, I know, I know you and I talked about some before now. We, 
I even had one guy who were having some, and he'd be okay. We're okay now. He'd be okay with this example. But he was falling asleep in church. So I hope I'm getting better because there's less people. But some of you got long schedules, you know, and it gets stuffy in here. But uh, he had fallen asleep, and we had been having a little conflict. And he said he woke up, and he, he could have sworn he heard me talking about him and this issue we had as an example in service. <laughs> and he called me that afternoon and said, and he, even though we were having a real deal, he said, you know what? It's amazing how the devil tried to get in there. Because he said, I thought for sure I heard you say my name and then talk about that thing. I said, no. I, that time I went right for my notes. You can look at them. I went, no. <laughs> but if you generally look at Scripture and you think from that mindset, it is just for me, then you probably have individualitis. But if you look at Scripture and look at it as about we as a body, as God's people, moving from one place to the promised land. The whole, the whole Bible is so simple, and in some, in some ways the gospel is simple. It's God wanted to commune with man in the garden, and when sin messed it up, the whole process is about redemption of man. And Noah and the start over, and you know, it goes on, and you know, Moses and going to the promised land. It's, it's real accounts, but it's all foreshadowing the character and nature of God to have forever communion without sin, with his people, his creation. And so, you know, it, 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 this is not a, a mystery. If you read the scripture, it says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, and you think that's for me, you may have an individualistic bias in your thinking and not be aware of it. If you think that's for us, then you probably don't. Here's, here's the one that's going to step on some toes because everybody just thinks church attendance is a pastor thing that he harps on. And it's not about attendance, it's about engagement. There's a difference between being a warm body present and being an engaged believer using the talents and gifts. But if you see church as optional and not essential, you probably have individualitis. If you see it as optional and not essential to you serving Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm getting bolder as I go because in my first year, I might have kind of softened that, but I'm going to tell you, you cannot serve Jesus successfully and be, a part of, uh, be away from a body of believers. You cannot do it through a TV preacher because it's not the design. And it's nothing wrong with him, but he can't hug your neck. He can't cry with you when you lose a loved one. He can't correct you when you're doing wrong. He's not going to do that. And so you can listen to him to get uh, additional feeding if you want. But at the same time, you cannot separate yourself from a body of believers for any amount of time and think for yourself that you're growing spiritually. Won't happen. I know a lot of people who are very super spiritual who think that and they'll separate for a while while they're searching for the perfect church and that happens all through life and they never get it that the hard part is the real part. The hard part of doing it together is what the New Testament church is about. Paul doesn't write letters from prison because he's just got nothing else to do. He writes it because the church is falling apart and he's got to pull them together and try to wrap their heads, you know, with the, the letters. If you would be, this is another one, carefully, carefully, because I've been preaching about the moving of the Holy Spirit as finding freedom, okay? So please don't think I'm backtracking here. There's a difference between freedom and lack of control. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you have control. But if he's coming on, you should let it go. If there's order and service, we can go through that. We're not going to rehash that, but I'm going to tell you this. There are some people, especially in Pentecostal, which we are, and charismatic denominations, who think they're seeking spiritual revival and freedom. And hold on, moms. I know I'm going to get gross from it. But what they're seeking is spiritual diarrhea. You, you, you see, the one thing that's healthy about our bodies is we do get to choose if everything's working right when we go to the bathroom. It's not pleasant, nor is it healthy if it happens on its own apart from your decision-making <laughs> at any given time. And I can tell you I've been, as a pastor's kid growing up, I've been in services where it's supposed to be freedom in the spirit, and it feels weird. I've been in services where people are on the aisles, rolling around, praising God, and there's electricity in there, and I know it's the Holy Spirit, and I have no problem with it. I've been in the same environment that looks the same, but it's weird. And my spirit checks, I say, there's something in here, and that's because usually I'll see a pastor who's getting whipped into thinking that everybody else has the order of service and not the shepherd. The shepherd's not leading, the sheep are, and he's just following their lead. And that's unhealthy. I never want to have to be in a situation where I have to say, hey, brother, sister, not now. 
I don't think I'd ever have to say, you know, you're out of line. But I mean, just having to rein things in. But when I was at district council for the Assembly of God Arkansas Ministers just this last Tuesday, I'm losing track of time this Tuesday, I'm telling you, they do worship sometimes with those things that maybe aren't my flavor, but I still worship Jesus because I've told you that's about me and Jesus, not about the style. But they did this song I hadn't heard before. It was the words of the song. It wasn't the hype or anything. The worship team was good, yes. But I'm talking about what it was being maybe a couple thousand people in there. I don't know, but it got so electrifying in the air and people were jumping and shouting the aisles and it was just whoa, an uproar. I mean, it's just the vibration of the building. The, it's just the, every voice. I don't think there was one mouth silent in that room. I didn't look around. You could just tell the volume of what was going on. And it was building, building. And it came a time where everybody, and it just felt like it's still charging. And then one of the leaders stepped up and, and very, very carefully, he brought the service to the next place where the Holy Spirit was leading. And it was very appropriate. But I guarantee you, there's some in there that there are people that seek spiritual diarrhea that's like, he just squashed the spirit. How dare he? Because they have a problem with authority. They have a problem with understanding that everything God has done since the beginning of creation has order to it. And the word sets you free, but the word has a lot of responsibility to it. And it has a lot of things that tell us this is how we are. Even when the Holy Spirit moves on us and we operate in the gifts, it gives us order of how that happens. So if you're one of those people that by default you'd be drawn to one of those organic, fluid, uh, everybody open and flowy, doing their own thing kind of service, then you might have an individualistic problem. You might have individualitis. And when you think about the gospel, you never talk about Israel and the church, and you might very well have individualitis because the Bible talks a lot about Israel and the church. And it is the example God has given us of their lives to lead and guide us. If our approach to our spiritual gift is to come to a new church and say this, you might not say it out loud, but you might think it. If you say this in your head, I have this gift, how will they use it? You might have individualitis. If you come to the church, a new church, and you say the church is in, in this church has a need, how can I serve it? then you don't. They, they don't sound that far apart sometimes, but there's an ocean of difference apart because it's a different heart that comes in and says, look, I may be gifted this one thing. I should, first service, I didn't pick one. Let's just use, we don't have a drummer right now, okay? So I'll just say drums. Now, I, I'm a drummer, but I just come into church, right? They don't know me from Adam. I wouldn't let some guy walk off the street and preach here until I know the brother and know what's going on, right? Know his testimony, know something about him. So I don't just have people just walk up because they play an instrument. Because I don't look at this as just instrument players. I look at this as lead worshipers, drawing people to worship. i got to know them. i got to know their walk. i got to know their life. Or someone I trust, like Ken, has known them. That's rare occasions. He might say, I know this guy is good, and I've known Ken since we're 16. I'm like, yeah, like Ryan. And now Ryan's moved here, is moving here, getting a new job to come help us with youth. He's, he's changing his whole life in a way, you know, from what's familiar well, you know what I mean. It is a big deal. Moving, finding a place, he's been going through it. So, you know, hook a brother up if you can find a good good place. <laughs> and, and I think he may have a beat on a job. Uh, bless him with groceries, whatever, just help him. So, you know, we have to know them. And, 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 so, and so there's a difference between I have this gift, how will they use it, and the church has this need, how can I serve it? I may be this drummer, but, you know, right now, they, they don't know me well enough but I can go out there and throw some grass seed around. Hint. No. I can throw some grass <laughs> seed around. You know, I can, I can serve because I'm able-bodied, so I can do something. Because your gifts and the church's current needs may not match up at the moment, God is this master mind of how he can weave a tapestry of our lives and sometimes give us experiences that we didn't like at first, but it develops something that's needed. And so we have to jump in and get our hands dirty, maybe over a season, but he wants to use your gift. But then there's people who will jump from place to place because what they're looking at is they're really looking for a place where uh, their gift is immediately used or they might say finally appreciated. And so they're just trying to find a place where people will appease their wants. A healthy member of a body commits to the overall health of the body, even when it's not immediately needed. Case in point, the dung theme. I know, we keep going back there. But let's think about a hand. Let's, 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 let's say your hands say, you know what? I don't want to fix food for anybody else, moms. 
I'm just going to fix for me because it, it, it satisfies me, right? I've I got to worry about me and my sustenance, so I'm going to fix the food for me. Well, what happens to the kids and the husband that don't know how to cook? Eventually. Very malnourished at least, Jaden. I mean, ramen noodles. Have you eaten ramen noodles? Yeah. College students do it for four years. You can't sustain yourself forever on that, brother. <laughs> Cereal. I mean, that starch will get you messed up. We'll be preaching this series longer. So, anyway. <laughs> but malnourished. Like the church body member who says, I can do creative things with my hands, but I only have time to do them when it suits me, when it gratifies me, benefits me personally, and I'll be praised for it. What the body part is actually called by the Lord to do is say, what does the body need right now? Come on, hands, scratch the back. It's got an itch. Last night, I don't know how the hay stuff got to my back in the worst place you could reach, but 2.30 in the morning, and I'm waking up, and I'm like, and I'm too tired to get out of bed, and I'm like, I know I'll be in trouble. I wake her up to scratch my back. So I'm like, what do I got beside the bed? You know, I'm about to grab the lamp <laughs> if I didn't electrocute myself. And, and, you know, if the hand says, you know what, that doesn't do any good for me. I'm not itching. That doesn't do any good for me. I, I'm just going to, food makes me stronger. I'm going to feed myself. And so as a body of believers, if people all pick and choose and what you are going to do for the Lord and get involved in the body and do, you pick until it suits you, guess what happens? The church becomes malnourished. It can only go so long before it starts to become anemic and then eventually it dies. And that's what happens to so many churches in the U.S. because of our culture and the Western culture. That's why the church worldwide is growing and thriving, yet we, in this, the churches are closing at rapid rates. The attendance at Bible colleges, there's a few still growing, and a lot of them, mine closed. My alma mater, I was Central Bible College of Springfield, but it's no more. It's part of Evangel now. 1,500 students when I went in 1993, and they got down to where it was like three or 400 students. This is serious life or death business. We joke about the dung diaries and this kind of thing. Truth is, a healthy functioning body has to take in, be nourished, give out, exercise, get rid of the waste, and it's all in conjunction to have a healthy body. And this church, we have, because we're a church plant, because we're in the storefront, I see different faces than I saw two years ago. I see different faces than I saw three years ago. And Jennifer and I pull our hair out sometimes saying, we're trying to build a team here. And about the time we think we're making momentum, it's like people are like, well, the Lord's leading me to that church over there. Uh, well, I get it. You've you're got one child, you know, only child syndrome, and they got big programs. But where, if that's where, are you getting in there and doing something for the kingdom, or are you sitting by and letting other people do it for you? Because you're going to get unhealthy that way. It's just the truth of how God works. I'm not trying to bust anybody's chops here today. It's not, yes, we're in a building project. Yes, I'm tired. Yes, I'll take help. This isn't about that. I, I failed to say that in first service. And I feel like probably some walked away thinking, I'm just trying to twist some arms to get some more help out there. Because starting tomorrow, it's me and Suzette Colt and my wife out there during the day. So, you know, it, 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 it can be difficult. But this is more about, here's another thing, quickly. How do you picture evangelism? Jesus says, leave everything, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And if you see that in your worldview as this guy that's like a gnome on a rock with a single fishing rod, single pole fishing, gets a fish, reels it in, puts in the basket, goes out, reels in, puts in the basket, then you may not understand fishing in Mediterranean, the Mediterranean in the first century, but that's not what Jesus was thinking when he said that. If you think of it like this, he's saying, we got this big net, takes a lot of people, and we're going after a lot of fish because we got a whole community to feed. And so we're all going to gather together, and we're going to, strong men are going to throw it out, cast it. We're going to grab it, pull it in, but even the women, children, aunts, uncles, grandpas, we're going to clean the fish, we're going to feed people. It's going to be a community thing. It's, a, it's all together, all in type of thing. And then we see, and they added thousands to their numbers daily, right? 5,000. That's why they were winning souls in mass numbers, not just because of culture. Can't blame it on that. Because people are people, and we've all got our own things, but they could be just as complacent, and they were. They killed Jesus for saying he was the Son of God. It's what brings them in is when we unify, we work as a functioning body healthily, and we're all in, all of us charging forward. I remember generations growing up when I was a pastor's kid, there was those people. 
That's the only answer. There's those people that, that in its work day on, on church, church work day, you know, they used to do those once or twice a year, maintenance the property and everything. And it'd be a bunch of people. Everybody have fun. We come and fellowship and everything. And in latter years, I started watching culture change where you have work day and there's the faithful few, usually retirees that had worked real hard their whole life and they just knew how to put in some hard work. I got this thing, I got that thing, I got this thing, I got that thing. We've made ourselves so busy that we don't have time for the Lord's work. And that's why I've been really careful when I say, if you come out to help, don't do it for me. Do it for Jesus. You do it for me, it's going to lose its luster. Because I will disappoint you, unfortunately, some way, somehow. We're human. And it won't be fun for you to do anymore. But when you do it as unto the Lord, that's why I've said, you guys think I'm crazy because I'll do long hours out there or injure myself, keep going. I'm not trying to be tough. I'm not trying. Jen knows. I whine plenty when I get home. <laughs> Lord, what are you doing to me? <laughs> but I made a commitment at the beginning that I will lead this church this, to this building with the least amount of debt possible and we'll do it and God's been faithful and I'm going to do it and finish it even if it kills me. And I mean that. Because i got a great retirement plan, eternal one. And she's got good life insurance on me, so we're good. <laughs> I, I got to finish this, and I, I got. That's the idea. That's what God wants us to think. That's what Jesus would think about fishers of men, is all of us casting out. I, I want to save this next example for the end. Actually, finally, let's think about cultural change. See, cultural change in our in our time is government. We look at government to do things. You know, this is not an odd thing that just happened. Okay, so if you think that all of a sudden all the generations now want the government to save them, not so. I say Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, you know, Martin Luther King. Um, for some, it might be Gandhi or who, you know, you start bringing up these names, we think of them. They're world changers. And I don't want to take away from what they accomplish. We talk about Robert Morris, pastor of one of the largest churches there is, you know, great guy, incredible message messages but i think he would even tell you that if you think for a moment that he is the one that has made all that happen you're fooling yourself there's an army of people who are doers and they got done me and jen met at a church of ten thousand people and i was on security and i i was a young guy that was in shape at the time so they put me on following the pastor because he was in in shape and he could move around the campus fast so i had to be quick after service and i get to hear his conversations and one of the things i've mentioned this in service before I'd never see him start to lose his cool until another pastor, visiting pastor, come up and say, hey, Pastor Lindell, tell me, how, what's the secret to growing a church this size? He'd get flesh. He'd say, I'll tell you like everybody else, when this church was 50 people in the storefront, not that long ago, I almost didn't take the position because I was afraid I'd mess it up. The Spirit of God was so strong. And, and, and that's the truth of it. He understood. He's got 110 people on staff last I knew on paid staff and and there's beyond that there's thousands of volunteers in that church they're like 15,000 people now when they pull off a big event you're crazy to think that that's all pastor Lindell, and he'd think you're crazy to think that too see we've got this big man mentality that if we just go find the right leader if we find the right tv preacher the right person we just follow them we're going to grow so much spiritually truth of the matter is that's not where you get your spiritual growth that's where you get the little quips that you like to hear that sound good and they're truthful but if that's what you feed yourself with only, then that's the magnitude of the spiritual growth you'll get is just little quips you can repeat to people. But there's something to be learned when you're out there with a headlamp working with your brother in Christ on a roof when there's no roofer that'll be out there at night with a headlamp working with sharp metal and cutting and your hands are just bleeding and, and sore. And you, like, and you keep telling yourself, I'm doing it for Jesus because we've got a timeline. I'm doing it for Jesus. And this story, we've gone over Nehemiah several times. It ministers to me so greatly because I just think about that whole idea of standing there with a plumb line in hand and, and just this warrior mentality that I will, I will do this for the Lord. I love you. I'm doing it for you, but mostly for the Lord. All for the Lord, and I do it for you too as a body of believers. This idea that these great men, they rise up and change history and the rest of us just sit and watch and observe. If you have that perspective of cultural change, you probably have individualitis. But if you have the unsung heroes, moms, the unsung heroes, if you have this unsung hero mentality about how cultural change happens, that the church body, 
this grassroots type thing. It's not the government, but it's these groups that change culture, that if we unite and come together, that we literally shift a nation through prayer and through, through warring in the spirit and through doing. Being an American, being in Western culture, sometimes we've subscribed to this individualitis. We've signed up for it, but it's the unsung hero. So you might ask, what's the problem here, Pastor CJ? What's the problem? Well, here's the problem. There's, there was a great thinker that said, you know, that when we worry about uh, this whole idea of being an individual is really created by parents who wanted their kids to succeed, good. But then there's a certain pride that comes from them succeeding and you'd be able to brag on your kids succeeding. And so in a lot of Western cultures, there's a competitiveness of learning and arising above the rest and obtaining the job and attaining the status and, and going for the big powerful thing. The truth is that most of us will end up being mediocre. We'll be doing something normal in life, just serving God in a small way. But put it bluntly, when I read the Bible, it seems to me the church is the meaning of the human history. But it's the church as a corporate body, not as a bunch of individuals. The church is the greater player in God's plan, not me as an individual. That's why Moses, through one act of disobedience of striking the rock and not speaking to it, didn't get to enter the promised land after he did all that up against Pharaoh, led him through that, all the wilderness, all the stuff, all the tragedy, all the responsibility he had, and in the end, he didn't get the, he didn't get the winnings. I know he went on to be with the Lord, and he did, but in our natural thinking, he didn't. So if it really was all about the man, the big man, and not the people, then why did they get to go in? You see, Noah, same thing. It was about restoring relationship for, for, for this planet, for God and people. So we as leaders, we aren't the big man. We aren't the reason it happens. We're just the ones with the responsibility. If it goes wrong, we take the fall. I've heard many leaders say that. The biggest part of my responsibility is that when things go wrong, I'm the guy that takes the fall, and I'm proud to do it because God has called me. The scriptures are the story of a corporate people. Everything you do for God should be preceded by you asking the question, who does this really benefit the most, me or them? The church is a story of corporate people. The corporate church will outlast all of us, even Dawkins. Anybody watch uh, atheist you know, uh, debates? Dawkins. Uh, the church has already outlasted Hitchens and Madame O'Hare, outlasted Stalin and Hitler. The church will outlast them. The, out, the church will outlast us all, but the gospel is corporate. The Bible says, in you and your seed, all the nations will be blessed. It's about all the nations, not the individual. Our gifts are corporate. Each must be done for the building up of each other. Evangelism is corporate. Cultural change is co corporate. Nehemiah chapter 3, this is, where we get to, this is where we get to the closing, where you get the scripture. And listen, because I didn't plan right, I'm not going to read this. There's a little bit of effect of reading all through these names. So if you get a chance, read through Nehemiah chapter 3. And if you do a yearly devotional getting through the Bible, this is one of your pain in your sides. Scripture. Because there's a lot of names of people just doing things to rebuild the walls. And you're like, it's about Nehemiah coming back to lead the people, right? That's what we hear. Why this whole chapter with all these details? This person did this part of the gate. This person did this part of the gate. This, the daughters of so-and-so rebuilt the ovens that baked the bread. How would you like to be the ones, ladies, moms? We restored the smell of baked bread to God's city. But then there's this guy. Guess what he did? He restored a different smell. He restored the dung gate. For over 2,000 years, this guy, he's been forgotten. There's a lot of Jewish names in here that are just forgotten. Uh, why, why list everything they did? We're not going to remember, right? We're not going to pay attention. The deal is Nehemiah led the people to rebuilding this place, and now they have a place of safety for God's people and for ministry and to worship. Praise God, we're moving to this new campus, and Pastor CJ, thank you for leading it. No. You know what God would spend more time wanting to write about? Ken, he threw 70 bales of hay. Don threw 70 bales of hay. You know, uh, Danny got up in a lift, almost fell through the roof and reinforced the roof. You know, he, he's going to tell all these details, right? 
Because the unsung heroes, that's how God works. He's, he's saying that it's about all of us doing our part, brick by brick, doing it together in unity. And you go through, you read all this. I mean, every little thing. Some of them did hinges on gates and this and that and this and that. And then the Dungate guy, right? But I believe he was saying, look, I have other gifts and talents. I'm not a Dungate professional. But it's necessary for the health of the city to have it. Especially the animal sacrifices. That, that, those entrails and all that stuff can't stay in the city. It would bring disease. We've got to get it out. It was part of healthy living. God had designed it that way. And I'll do that part. I might get forgotten. My name might be this little quip in you know, this whole chapter of names. And it's associated with the worst part. But I'll do it and I'll serve the Lord. I'll do it anyway because it needs to be done. Because I am a part of a body. I am not an I. I am a we. I am the kingdom of God, a royal priesthood, a nation called men. We are warriors. We are called to be mighty men of valor, ladies of virtue that are to shine the light of Jesus to this world and, and with one hand build and the other with a sword, fighting the enemy and building at the same time. Say, I can multitask. God's given me ability. Satan, you can bring it, but I can build and fight you too. I'll kick you so hard. No. <laughs> And that's what this is really about. Nehemiah is not even mentioned in this chapter. 445 BC, exile of Jews done. They're celebrating under the leadership of Nehemiah. Go back to rebuild. And this chapter would drive you crazy in, in a Bible study, but it's important. It's important. Jewelers, perfume makers, you go down the list and look through that. People were doing things, building stuff. You're like, Pastor CJ, I don't know how to even uh, read a level. I don't know how to read a tape measure. I can't do any of that. Well, guess what? Perfume makers were building gates and doing things like that. Jewelers. Everybody working together to complete the task that God had before them. And that's it. Just a list of names and the little bit of the wall they did. One guy just repaired a part of a house. Still important. Still noteworthy. Why on earth did Ezra bother with writing all that down? Does anyone care? Because otherwise... Knowing how we are, hey, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? We might start to think that Nehemiah did it all. We might start to expect that Nehemiah would do it all. We might start to live like a pastor or a preacher is the one that's supposed to do it all. We might start to forget that we, we actually have been created with strengths and abilities that are supposed to be used to create a healthy body. We might get the wrong idea and get to be an unhealthy body and God's saying it's not all about Nehemiah. Because really in our history we've been taught it's all about the great man, singular, who does things. And the small guy, the less significant people, the, the minions, if you will, that actually put the bricks in place are not who matters. There's only a few Nehemiahs and Ezra's, but man, the power of a mighty army of believers that work together. That's why I love RV Maps, volunteers, pastor's heart when they see those rigs pulling in, when you think you're not going to have any help and they come at the last minute. I, I love the fact that, that uh, um, Suzette and, and Tony had to leave to go get Suzette's RV from the rig, and we had just loaded that 52 bales and it's back, and I've got to move some lumber and move all that myself too, and I'm hurting, and I'm just like, oh, I don't want to do this. Nathan comes strolling up, and you, have, you guys that don't know Nathan, he's back in the sound booth, but he's, he's fairly quiet, and he comes up with his soda, and he's dressed up at work, and it's like midday. I think, what are you doing here? He goes, I'll just come out and see what you guys are doing. I'll be back in a minute. Goes to change, goes back, and Nathan knocks out that load in the next, you know. And I've been up on the roof before where my help that I have then is leaving. Danny, Danny was there. Danny was like, Pastor, I got to go. I'm going to be late to work. I was like, I understand, brother. Thanks for the help. I think, man, this is going to be a lonely day. All of a sudden, I see this truck. I, it was Forrest, and Forrest is like, I'm here. And then in Forrest life, is somebody, and God orchestrates it. If you let him speak to your heart and you're obedient, he will send you at the right time, at the right place, to do great things for him, even if it seems like dung to you. He'll make something beautiful out of it. This guy gets to repair the dung gates, and I want to close with this. This is, this is the thing. Before I, before I go into the very last part of this and give you the two points I want you to walk away with is what good is a partially built wall? What are walls for? And would it be good if it was only partially built? The enemy could just walk around it, right? 
Well, listen, if you've got a partially built wall, the enemy walks around it, he's going to kill whoever's first in line to kill, right? Guess who the first person he's going to kill? Not the people in their homes doing nothing. The poor guy that's out there building, right? Psh, psh, psh. He's the first guy in contact. And that's the danger when we leave our brothers and sisters hanging, trying to carry the full load, is they're in danger of discouragement, wanting to quit, of illness, of all kinds of things. That leaves them susceptible to the enemy. That's why it takes God has a perfect timing to protect us from the enemy that takes us all doing and working together. So listen, I know this sounds like I'm just, the building project gives me a wealth of examples. But this is not to, to guilt people into helping this. What I'm trying to tell you is in your life, whether at New Song or any other church, you'll never be a healthy member of God's family if you don't find a place to plant and find a way to serve. And do it with your whole heart. Well, I'm waiting for the pastor to tell me how to serve. I didn't find out how to serve from someone else. God told me. God told me what he wanted me to do. I waited on him, and he gave me my calling. He showed me my gifting. And then I just simply said, I'll go in there and I'll start doing. You know, when I first came to New Song, you know what I did? I got to close this. But, but some of you will remember this. This row, row right here has been here since about the beginning. 20 degrees outside. What was my favorite thing to do? I had stuff covering my face wrapped up. You see my eyes, as long as you see them smiling. Because I want to stand up by the road at the school we met at, and I want to wave at people as they walked in the parking lot. I had no position. I was nobody in the church. I, I was one of Pastor Jim's old youth group members. I was just excited to be there and felt the Spirit of God moving, and I had never worshipped like I had before in my life at New Song, and this was new and fresh, and I just wanted to greet people knowing they loved. Pastor Jim was like, I need you inside to greet people. I was like, I just want to get them there. Other people can do that. I want to get them there. And there's a zeal and a fervor, and I'm like, God, give me that back. We used to carry little fanny packs and have a uh, chest of uh, ice with drinks in it, and if somebody's in the service, I have this feeling. I want to be like a concierge, right? I want to be like a butler, and I want to just stand there, and if somebody starts to cry, I get real hanky. Can I snot in this? <laughs> Do you need me to wash and bring it back? No, brother, sister. Here, the other tissues aren't good enough. Cold water, all you got to do is nod. You don't have to interrupt the service. Just turn around, do this. I'll bring you water. That's what I'd like to do. This, this is odd for me to stand up and be the preacher because what I like to do is stand in the back and just serve. And there's so much that does to your heart when you do that, when you just offer yourself up as, I, I don't have any wants here today. My want is what Jesus wants. And I want to love God and love people. I want to keep the main thing the main thing. That's what makes my heart beat. All this other hard stuff of leading, I, I, I love you guys and I'm thankful for it. I'd give it up a heartbeat to follow Pastor Jim again and, and follow him as he leads. I pray for it often. I pass this Bible every time I leave my office to come preach to you. And I don't feel like I'm that guy. I'm not the Nehemiah. I, I'm closest I might be as the knucklehead Joshua, who's a military leader, more like, and not the soft touch Moses. And lastly, I want to tell you this. Here's a little saying to remember. Boredom brings brawlers. Boredom creates brawlers or breeds brawlers. Boredom breeds brawlers. Can't even get my own saying right. You ever heard devil's uh, idle hands or devil's workshop? Growing up as a pastor's kid, all the church fights, all the problems I ever saw, and believe me, my dad had some doozies before he moved to Arkansas, is all from the people who had nothing better to do. They weren't making themselves busy. All they had time to do is think about how they were not happy. And it came out in the church. And if you'll make yourself busy for the Lord, you won't have time for that because boredom breeds brawlers. Here's a question we have to ask. What are we doing to impact the world for God? Here's the two points I'm going to give you. The role of brilliant leaders taking on the world's sin, if you're a pastor, whatever, it's much smaller of a role than we think. Thus, case in point, I gave you about Moses. And the second thing is the role of ordinary people who are working secular jobs, raising kids, making time, regularly build the church with all that included. Their role is much greater than you think because God says the kingdom of heaven is made up of those people. Those are the greatest. So moms on Mother's Day, I want to tell you for the unsung heroes, every dirty diaper, every snotty nose, every all-nighter after work, taking care of high fevers, all those things, you may think are, are dung. Not that you think that about your kids. I know you do it lovingly, but I know it's not the fun jobs. But you're building the kingdom because a strong, 
family following Christ is a strong church. And so we honor you today because it is about the unsung heroes. It's about the names that just get listed in a big pile of stuff that gets forgotten and nobody wants to do a devotional about it. But God thought it was important to put every detail. Man, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to bring the, your word today. And I pray that, Lord, I hope I got out of the way and you shone through. Lord, I pray today that each person, this word buries in their heart, that God, they cannot forget it, that it begins to uh, be nurtured and grow. And Lord, this wasn't a stick to beat over the head of anybody of guilt or condemnation, but of conviction and encouragement that not just this church, but every church, God, every, every true church following you has a huge mission to accomplish. And we can't do it with only a few. We can't do it with only so many plugged in. But God, we need every person fully engaged, head on. That's a season. Lord, just like with Nehemiah, there's a time they got the walls done. They got to celebrate and they got to enjoy what they had done. And God, in every aspect, whether it's leading someone to the Lord in the grocery store, whether it's taking time, when in a restaurant, instead of worrying about our kids embarrassing us in front of people we don't care to meet, our attitude will be that we're there to meet someone and show our kids how to introduce them to Jesus so that they'll carry on. Let everything, every aspect of our lives be about being the unsung hero that just simply, brick by brick, builds a kingdom. Soul by soul, Lord, casting the net together far and wide and bringing in a harvest. And we just thank you for it on this Mother's Day and bless them as they go. Just pray with me now. Lord, I make a commitment to you to Lord to be allowed be uh, to allow myself to be to the side to be cleansed of my individual highest Lord and to be about the we of your kingdom in Jesus name amen amen love you guys I know we went a little bit over time today a lot over time um, thank you for hanging with me I, this has been burdening my heart for three weeks on this message and uh, I know God's doing great things uh, moms there are some gifts on a back table there there's snacks and things there too. Um, but moms, make sure you get your gift before you go. And we love you. God bless you. Thank you for being at New Song.